So, hey, ladies, welcome to our No Bad Days Simple Wellness for Women show. I'm Jolene Fisher, your host, and every episode of the No Bad Days show will give you a view into the life of another woman, and she'll share her stories, her triumphs, and all the struggles and lessons that she's learned along her path. And my goal as your host is to bring topics to you that will be relevant and encouraging because I want you guys to be inspired to be the heroes of your own story. And this is why I introduce you to brave women doing hard things who are truly living out the motto of no bad days. And so today I bring to you just a really fun, energetic gal named Nicole Mischke. And I've known Nicole for a couple years, just through various networking groups. But last couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity of listening to her live for the first time. And I was blown away with her story and just how amazing she is at telling stories for other people. So I wanted to bring her here today to the No Bad Day Show. But let me first give you her official bio. Nicole is a journalist who has always loved the power of a person's story. She's majored in broadcast journalism at Gonzaga and went on to work on a major television news show until a huge transformation made her question what her purpose might be as a storyteller. Stepping out of shame and a huge secret she kept from every person in her life ended up being the thing that allowed her to find self-love, love from God, and a new path of purpose. In June of 2018, she left the news industry to launch her own storytelling platform called Uncovered where she helps people share, uncover, and make peace with their stories of shame. And so welcome, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing here, and I'm so privileged to just be a part of it. So yeah, I'm so happy you're here as well. And so one question I just like to warm everybody up with is, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background and where you're from. Yes. So I am a mom. I have two kids. That's a huge part of my life, right? Is doing the whole mom thing and especially in COVID and the whole school thing. So that's been um, a challenge, but yeah, my daughter is going to be 11 in just a couple days. My son is four. Um, my husband is a realtor here in Spokane and he actually, we've both kind of been on this journey recently of quitting our jobs to jump into the uncertainty that is being a realtor because there's no guaranteed income and the uncertainty that I took of, you know, launching my own business. Um, so this last, this last, I guess, year and a half, two years for us have really been incredible in just leading a life in faith instead of fear. I mean, there were months where we were like, oh my gosh, like, are we going to pay our bills? And I, I really believe the more that I walk this path of just listening to those nudges that sometimes the nudges inside of us, they're never going to make sense. But when you say yes and operate in that faith versus fear, doors open and miracles happen and things come to you that you never could have expected. So that's kind of been what the last couple of years for us has looked like. And um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a journey for sure, but, but a fun one. <laughs> I love that. Um, the nudge life, living the nudge life versus mm -hmm. living the two by four being hit over the head kind of life. Like, because yes. you haven't been listening to your nudges. <laughs> So, exactly. Yeah. 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 Other than that, I don't know. I grew up in Oregon. I have four siblings. I came from a big Catholic family. Um, and so walked through, I mean, I, I talk all about shame now. Um, my very first experience of shame was being from a very conservative, large family where everyone was married before they had children. And I got pregnant in college with my husband who I was dating then. And that was the first big moment of having to 
try and figure out my identity amidst this label that I had been kind of taught to think was a very bad label for a woman to have a woman, you know, an unwed mother. So, um, you know, that was my first experience dealing with something really shameful and having to walk through that. And then we'll talk about my other one with a secret eating disorder, but you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm all about trying to help people get rid of those labels that society wants to tell us, um, make you less worthy. Um, because the truth is we're all struggling with something, you know, and the more we can be open about talking about that, the more it becomes okay for other people to share their struggles with you, but it also allows you to find love for yourself, like the true version of yourself, not the self that you, um, show the world with these masks of perfection and, and things like that. So that's so great. Cause I was just going to use the word mask that we wear and to take those masks off and to really truly reveal our, our true selves to the world. And that is freeing a hundred percent. And so with that, I just want to bring you back to your childhood a little bit growing up in a Catholic family and having that conservative like upbringing. What did it, what was it like for you as a, a young girl? Um, you know, I really had a good childhood. Both of my parents were teachers. I was the second oldest of five kids. But I think my biggest struggle when I look back on my childhood was being a large girl. I was very much bigger than anyone my age. I remember just so many memories of people not believing that I was really the age I said I was or, you know, having to shop in women's size clothing when I was in like third and fourth grade, because I was like five, seven in fourth grade. And I was taller than my fourth grade teacher, you know, sixth grade, I didn't fit into the desk. <laughs> they had to bring up a sixth or sorry, third grade. I didn't fit into the desk. They had to bring up a sixth grade desk. So it was just all of these memories of feeling too big to have value as a girl. You know, the comments of, your friends that were young and little or that were little being so cute. And then you're just like, wow, you're like, you're so big, you know? So that very much impacted my identity and how I felt about myself. Just these messages that unfortunately, I think we're getting better. I hope we're getting better, but the, the toxic messages that our girls can get that being large is bad and you're not supposed to take up space. You're not supposed to be hungry, you know? Um, and so now I'm really fighting to help get rid of those sorts of messages and they can be just as toxic on our young boys, our boys that are smaller and aren't the big, strong, you know, th those um, masculine messages that we feed our young boys. So I think um, when I look back on my childhood, that was really the most damaging part of it, but I was still a very confident, I was still able to kind of put it to the side and, and be confident, at, at least outwardly confident. I think I had a lot of insecurities that I hid pretty well, but I was always you know, extroverted and I liked theater and I liked to, you know, debate and things like that. So that's kind of the, I don't know, the short version, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So how did you find yourself covering up some of that? Like you said, it was just, you felt that pain, although you didn't really know or identify what it was at the time as a younger girl. How do you think you masked that or covered it up for you, yourself in that area of your life? Or so maybe something we can identify in our own teenagers or something yeah. might be going on. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this recently because I think, unfortunately, children don't have the words or even the, the mental ability to understand 
that just because they're receiving a message about who the world tells them they are, that they don't have to listen to that. So it's almost like our children, if they're getting a message that they're wrong or they're bad for something about them, um, they, they don't have the, the capacity to go, well, that's actually not true. And so I, I don't even think as a child, I could articulate or understand that, you know what, I just grew faster than everybody else and everyone else is gonna catch up to me later, but it's okay that I, like, it just felt like do whatever you can do to try and be smaller. So how did I hide that? Um, I was an athlete, I played a lot of sports. So that brought me some form of worthiness. I was never like the star athlete or whatever, but I, I was big. So like in basketball, they wanted me to, you know, be a post or something. But um, I was also, I, I um, kind of resorted to being the comedic one, like the one that would make people laugh. Um, because yeah, I just, I always wanted to, we all do, right? We all want to find a way to feel worthy or to feel like our presence amidst our peers matters. So I, I tried to get good grades, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it does. And I, I see my own life in some of that too. I was five foot six by the time I was in sixth grade and I'm five, eight. So a tall, taller woman. And yeah. Yeah, just thinking, oh, I should do basketball because I'm tall. No, I was horrible at it. <laughs> just like, okay, I guess I'm not meant to do that. <laughs> but uh, anyways, take us to a time, or take us to college now. You, you're in college, you're going to Gonzaga, you're majoring in journalism. Was that your first major or thought that you wanted to do? How did you know you wanted to be a journalist? Yeah, I don't know how I knew. I just remember growing up, you know, and getting to hear whether it was through public speakers that would come to my school or youth group and just watching a person walk into a room that you had no idea who they were, um, maybe were making some judgments about, but then hearing their story and suddenly the room was captivated. We were all more connected and we had all found a way to relate to a stranger. And I just remember thinking, that that was so powerful, that if you could really tell a person's story, suddenly, you know, an enemy could find love for them. And so I, I very much, when I was researching where I wanted to go to college, I wanted to major in broadcast journalism. So that was kind of, I only looked at schools that had that as a major. And, um, but college actually, you know, I think I'm a, I think I'm a forever optimist, which is a, a pretty good, I think that trait is kind of what saved me a lot of times. Because when I look back at college, it was actually a very lonely time for me. And I was very insecure. And that's when I started dating my husband. But I think a lot of women will relate to this, of this idea that like when you don't even know who you are and you don't even know your own worth, you then live to please everyone else around you. And when you're dating somebody, it's all about them. It's nothing about your needs. It's all about what can I do to make sure this person wants to continue loving me. And that's a pretty unfortunate place to have to look back on. You know, I, I've very much almost grieved for that person because I was going to Gonzaga. I had all of this opportunity to join clubs and meet people and go to basketball games. I never went to a single Gonzaga basketball game. And the reason is because my husband 
didn't go to Gonzaga. I met him actually in the ice cream aisle at Safeway. <laughs> he and was that's a couple a years story. older than me. I hope you tell it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll have to tell that one in a second. But I met him on the ice cream aisle at Safeway on Hamilton, which is right by Gonzaga for those that are familiar with the Spokane layout. And um, he was like a drywaller, more of the construction type guy. And he didn't go to Gonzaga. So I literally would not go to basketball games because he wasn't able to come because he wasn't a student. I mean, that just, that just breaks my heart for myself so much. And that was just one example of all the ways that I didn't allow myself to participate in the culture of Gonzaga because I mean, I can remember, which is just crazy to me, like crying in my dorm room on a Friday night, feeling like I don't have any friends to call. By this time we'd been dating for a couple of years he wanted to hang out with his friends, which he had because he was from here. And I didn't have anybody to call. And I remember thinking, like, if I lose Luke, if I lose my husband, like, no one will ever love me, which is such a messed up. Like, we're so horrible to ourselves. But just this, I was so scared of losing that one relationship because I think I was, you know, I kind of isolated myself. I jumped into a relationship with a guy who didn't go to my school pretty much a month into going to college. And that kind of pulled me out of all the social circles that I'd kind of started to make connections with. So, and then, you know, fast forward to my junior year, I end up getting pregnant. Again, the shame of that. I mean, you don't see pregnant girls at Gonzaga. <laughs> like, um, and so I very much just... I think because I'm tall, I was able to hide that I was pregnant. I didn't tell a single person, like even my roommates, I just felt so wrong for being pregnant. Um, I did not tell a single person that I was pregnant. And so then of course I make it even more awkward for myself when senior year, I show up having skipped a semester because I had my daughter in September of what would have been my senior year. And then I show up, you know, the next semester with a baby and a stroller. And my, my professors were amazing. They literally let me bring my daughter to classes. My broadcasting professor, I was producing the shows for the news station on campus, nursing my daughter. I mean, it was an incredible support system that I got from my professors. But as far as my peers, I mean, I think I kind of made that awkward for myself because I felt like it was such a secret and a wrong thing to be experiencing. So... Um, yeah, college, well, on the one hand, and, and like I said, the forever optimist in me, I was able in the moment to like every day put a smile on and go to class and, you know, just be that confident person outwardly. But inside, I was so just insecure and terrified, you know? Yeah. And where, where um, do you think some of that, uh, I guess, fear I guess isolation can do that, right? And right. I'm hearing isolation was one thing that really separated you from those peers and that experience that you wanted to have in college. Uh, so I know that for sure. And negative self-talk is another area where I see a lot of people start to go down a, a rabbit hole of, of fear and, and more doubt and, and that. But what I also hear in your story is so much bravery, <laughs> despite that all because of you having to uh, make it through navigating that the waters of being pregnant in a school where that wouldn't be accepted and really going back to school was such a brave decision and finishing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think I definitely credit the support of my family. I mean, my parents, 
were very much like, no, you can do this. You can go back to school and you can finish like you can. We had relatives in town who would watch my daughter sometimes um, while I had classes. So again, I look back and I, and I think I even kind of marvel at like, and I think maybe all of us do that though, right? When you look back in your life, I think there's periods where you go, how did I do that? Because to list out on paper, everything you were going through or how you had to work two jobs while you were going to school or whatever it was like, a lot of times we look back and we go, gosh, that sounds terrible. Like no one would ever say that's a good idea. But I think we're resilient people. You know, you can be resilient and you can work through really hard things. And I think for much of it, I was just in kind of like survival mode, like head down. I didn't even allow myself to even realize the connection maybe that I was missing with peers because I didn't want to talk to anybody about the fact that I'd gotten pregnant. So I just kind of made myself think like, I don't need those relationships anyway. I'm just going to focus on this. You know, it was like a mix of denial and protection. And I just got to do whatever I got to do to get through this kind of thing. So yeah, survival mode. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Well, I would love for you to share part of your story about the next phase of where you you want to go in this story. I know I'm not going to um, like give your story away. I want you to tell it. But uh, one of the things that you shared with us a couple weeks ago when I listened to you is how you want to uncover or take off the that mask of shame. And so for you in particular, you have a story you want to tell. And so I want to go into that now, if that's okay with you. And yeah. have you share that with the audience today? Yeah, so I was struggling with bulimia in total secret for 10 years. And it very much became like an addiction. It became something that had taken over my life to the point of I was stealing food um, in college. I would raid, you know, go to floor to floor to floor of the dormitories and raid the kitchens. And um, I was stealing food from the homes of people's children. I would babysit. Um, I maxed out a $5,000 credit card that I secretly used to purchase food on because um, my, I guess it was my boyfriend. And, and then I guess even through into my marriage, I was still hiding this secret. And so, yeah, I didn't want my husband to know what I was spending my money on when, when he would leave and I would eat all the ice cream or an entire box of cereal and then have to run to the store to replace it. You know, um, it felt like it was so consuming, so overwhelming that I would never heal from it. I did not think that healing was possible for me. And so I can remember thinking, you know, will you just go ask for help for this? And I would think, no, absolutely not. Like I would rather die than have anyone find this out about me because if I ask for help, it's not going to work anyway. I'm just going to be the person that everyone knows is bulimic. And, you know, you just kind of feel like everything is going to be over for you. And that, again, very much started from, you know, a childhood that, you know, people commented on the size that I was for much of my life. I got called fat. I got called Goliath, all those things. And then as I got into high school and I started to just kind of come into my own and guys started to notice me, it was very much, it just kind of confirmed like, oh, like as you get smaller, you're getting more attention. You're more worthy of love. So keep getting smaller. And initially it was just very natural, like what my body was doing. Um, then I got approached by a modeling agency and they said, Hey, we'd love you to come, um, 
do an audition or whatever. And I remember standing there in my underwear, like no self-confidence. And they said, if you can lose an inch in your hips and an inch in your waist, we'll sign you. And I left that day feeling three things. I felt um, totally flattered that they would even consider having me be a model. Um, I felt also though at the same time inadequate, like I'm still not good enough. I'm still not worthy enough because I'm big. I need to lose more weight. And then I also felt determined, like I was going to do whatever it took to get that contract. And so that's really what launched me into an extremely restrictive diet where for six months, I think at the time it was like the Atkins diet, everybody was following. And so that's what I did. And, um, eventually what I didn't know at the time is that restriction leads to binging. So a lot of people struggle with disordered eating patterns. It may not be a full-blown full um, eating disorder, but if you're a person listening and you're wondering like, gosh, I try all these diets and I seem to fail and then I just fall off and I just binge, 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 binge. Well, that's because when we restrict and we don't meet our body's nutritional needs, that's what we do as humans. That's not that you don't have self-control. It's that that is your survival mechanism. Like binge, eat the food. And that's also something that happens when we label foods as good or bad. You know, you're not a bad person if you eat a cookie, but when we put vegetables on this pedestal and cookies down here, all of a sudden when you fall off the wagon, if you want to call it and eat a cookie off of the, the dozen you bake, you're going to eat the whole dozen because it's kind of this whole thing of like, well, I'm already here. And so I'm kind of getting sidetracked from my story a little bit, but the point is I have found so much freedom in intuitive eating and having no rules around food. And it's amazing how when you kind of, when I allowed myself to kind of remove the rules around food, it was suddenly I, I've never felt more in control around food and I don't have to eat the sweets if they're in my house. So Amen, that's, sister. That's a total, <laughs> yeah, that's a total side note. But um, what happened, I guess, with the bulimia is um, I ended up thinking that I was dying. I had always been, my dad passed away from cancer in 2011. And that was a really like a wake up call for me of like, what am I doing to my body? Like I'm putting my body through so much abuse doing this to myself. I mean, I was binging and purging at my worst, maybe 15 times a day. It was horrible. And um, I remember thinking, you know, this is going to probably give you mouth cancer, esophagus cancer, like who knows what you're doing. So that kind of put me on this journey of wanting to try and, I mean, I always wanted to try and stop, but um, again, I wasn't willing to ask for help. And then finally one day I woke up and I had a bunch of mouth sores and I was like terrified. And for anyone else who's had a health scare where you've like convinced yourself because Google says that if you have a mouth sore, it means you have cancer or whatever, whatever your thing is, if you have ever had a health scare like that and you're just certain that it's something fatal, um, it's all you can think about. It becomes all consuming. And so for a couple days, I was like so anxious and I couldn't work. I couldn't, all I thought is like, I'm dying. Like I finally got this caught up to me. Um, well, I ended up going to the doctor and I didn't have mouth cancer. I was just pregnant. And sometimes when you get pregnant, apparently your hormones go crazy and you can get sores in your mouth. And it's like an early sign of pregnancy. Well, even knowing that I didn't have mouth cancer, it was just pregnancy. That scare 
it literally snapped me out of my struggle with bulimia. And I, I really feel like I had a spiritual awakening. Like I was thinking about my life on another level. I had never even operated at before, which was what am I doing? You know, the purpose of my life is not to chase after physical perfection. That is not a life's purpose. And imagine the life I could have if I just embraced my body and who I was and just ran forward, you know, loving myself exactly as I am and not putting so much energy into trying to control the size that I was. And so once I woke up from that, I was actually more thrilled that I had never been caught than I was thrilled to have stopped because I thought, great, I just overcame an eating disorder that most people don't ever overcome, or at least not with like, not in the way that I did. You usually have to get treatment for it and no one knows. So now I can take the secret to the grave. I'll never get caught. I'm good. Well, as you know, secrets keep you sick. That's what they say. And so I very much felt like I had this burden. Like I wanted to share it with somebody, but I didn't know who to tell. And so eventually what ended up happening is you talk about those nudges or getting, I had to get smacked with a two by four and a couple a two by four, a couple times, I think to get the message. But I, I basically had this feeling of like, I need to share this. I don't know who to tell. And a friend of mine who I was working with at the time had started a storytelling plot or it's a storytelling event in Spokane called Pivot Spokane. If anyone's in Spokane, I always tell people when we're allowed to meet in person again and they do these live events, go to a Pivot Spokane event. They are incredible. Each event, they take eight different people, all walks of life. And each event is themed around the same word or phrase. And you have to tell a true story from your life on that word. So uh, some stories make you cry. Some stories make you laugh. My friend came to me and said, we're doing a storytelling event. I would like to uh, ask you to be a storyteller. The word is secret. Would you like to share? And I was like, in this, even though I was in this period of my life where I'm like, I feel like I need to share. And then I get this opportunity to share a story and it's on secret. I was like, heck no. Like I am not in my head. I was very much alarmed. Like, why is she asking me to share a secret? I don't have a secret. You know, shame keeps you very much in denial. I think when you're not talking about it, you just disassociate with anything that anyway, that's another story. But I told her no, not doing it. Three months later, she came back and she said, we're doing another storytelling event. This time the word is promise. Would you like to share? And the first thing that went through my mind is that toxic promise you made to yourself to chase after physical perfection. But I brushed that away. I thought, I'm not going to tell that story, but I love storytelling. I will think of a story from my life on the word promise. Sure. Sign me up. I would go home for a couple of weeks though. And I would get pen and paper to try to make a list of stories I could tell. And I, I felt like my brain was broken. It was just like a broken record. And that was the only thing I could think of. And so I finally got to the point where I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to tell her to find somebody else. I am not sharing this story. And I apparently have no other stories to share. So I went to work one day. I was going to tell her I'm not doing it. And a filmmaker who I greatly respect happened to be in our newsroom that day. His name's Leon Logafetis. Little side note here, but he produced The Kindness Diaries, which is on Netflix. It's a great documentary. He basically traveled around the entire world only relying on the kindness of other people. And at this time, 
he had been traveling the country, going to schools, elementary schools and middle schools to talk to kids on the importance of being kind to people, especially people who are different than you. And we had brought him into our newsroom for an interview because he was in Spokane. And I wasn't interviewing him. I was just sitting in on it. But our main anchor asked him a question. Um, she said, what's the one message you hope kids take away when they hear your story? And again, this is right when I'm about to tell this girl I'm not doing her story on promise. <laughs> and I'm listening. And I thought he was going to say something about kindness. But instead, he said, you know, sometimes I go to schools and I talk to kids and there's kids who will raise their hand and I can see the pain in their eyes and they'll say, I don't like kindness. I don't want to be kind. And he said, I look at those kids and I say, you know what? That's okay. You don't have to be kind, but promise me that you will share your pain. Share your pain because if you don't, it will grow and it will fester and it will become something nasty inside of you. And that sentence is literally what changed my life. I mean, when he said, promise me, and I had to think of a story on promise and all I could think about was, you know, sharing my pain story. I was like, okay, God, like I will do it. So I ended up going to that event. I did not tell my husband. I did not tell a single person I knew what I was doing because with shame, it's always easier. I think to get up on a stage in front of 200 strangers and share your most personal secret than it is to look one person in the eye that you know and love and tell them your truth. And so that event was also, that was the number two thing that changed my life, getting the opportunity to share my story. That is an opportunity that I think is one of the biggest gifts you can give to another human, the opportunity to be heard. And the third thing that happened that was a gift that night is it happened to be recorded. Well, they were planning on it, but I didn't know it was going to be recorded. And they were going to be posting it online and playing it on the radio. And when I found that out, I was like, uh, no, you're not playing my story. I did not sign up for that. I thought I was coming here in this room to tell the story here. Well, they said, please just think about it. You've got a couple of weeks. And so I ended up after talking to my husband, finally telling him everything. Um, I let them post it. And that link to my story ended up being the biggest gift because as I slowly got the courage to claim my story and share it with all the people who I felt like I owed it to, my mom, my siblings, my aunts and uncles, cousins, friends, I didn't have to call them and sit down and hash out all the details. I could just send them a 12 minute link and say, I need you to listen to this. And I felt like I got to explain everything. And so that entire experience literally tra has transformed my life in ways that that would be a whole nother episode. I think it's been amazing. And that is what brought me to have this vision with uncovered that number one, people need the opportunity to be heard and to have their story shared, but they need that opportunity when they're talking about shame and vulnerability to share it outside of their circle, to share it on a different platform where their immediate friends and family don't have to necessarily be listening and it needs to be recorded. It needs to be shared in a way that when they are ready to claim it, they can share it. So that's what basically after that, you know, I walked through the biggest door of fear, which was telling everyone the thing that I used to wish I would, you know, I, I would rather have been dead than tell people that. Walked through that door of fear. Amazing things happened. So when it came to quitting my job and listening to that nudge, that wasn't as scary. I was like, I'm quitting. I'm going to go do this. I know that I'm supposed to do this. I'm just going to quit my job. I don't know where the money's going to come from, but I need to do this. And so that was a very long story, but that's how I kind of got to uncovered with, with that whole 
um, journey and transformation out of, yeah, out of, out of a secret that I kept for so long. You have given me so many chills today because <laughs> your story is just incredible. And I think so many women watching can relate to it on so many levels. Uh, maybe not exactly what you went through, but in that regard with uh, having something they don't want to come out in the light or even just uh, not knowing where to go, what platform to tell it on or how they can be safe in talking about it. And some people have access to therapists and some people just talk to their friends. But what I know is that talk therapy is one of the best things you can do to get your feelings out from it, you know, feeling like mm -hmm. what you were going through. Uh, but you had said in a previous interview that you found a lady in who had gone through the same thing you'd gone through. And she was the first person that you felt mm. able to actually talk to about it. So for the ladies listening today, it can even just be a friend, right? That's going through the exact same thing and has come out on the other side a little bit better, but I don't want to, uh, I want to make sure that we're clear on this too, that if you guys are going through something really, really hard, like an eating disorder, that the purpose today isn't to like tell you not to seek a doctor or anything like that. We definitely want you to do that and to seek therapy, but that also there, there may be other people out there, support groups that you can attend. And so um, we'll, we can talk more about that at the end of the show. Well, that is a really good point that, I'm not here to say, if you have a secret, you need to go shout it out to everybody because that doesn't work for everybody. That happened to be what worked for me, but you're so right. The part of my story I left out is I had met a woman before I was asked to share this story. And she was just online. I had seen a video of her sharing that she had struggled with severe binge eating. And that was the first person in my circle that I had ever heard admit to having an eating disorder. And what shame does no matter what statistics say, shame will tell you, you're alone in this. You're more broken. Nobody else that you know is this messed up. So you better never tell this to anybody. And what I have learned is that we're actually way more in it with even people that you know than, than you'd ever imagine. I mean, I was, I was personally surrounded by people who were struggling with eating disorders. Some I had known since elementary, middle school, but we weren't talking about it because we all thought that we were the only ones. And so one of the biggest gifts you can give to someone is the gift of knowing you're not alone because that is what gives people permission to also show up imperfect. And that's what that woman gave to me. And so that was the very first person I, I got on the phone with her and I was like, I have to, I've never told anybody this, but I felt like she would get it. People will not share their greatest pain with someone who they don't think is going to understand. And what she gave me is the gift of knowing that she would understand. So that's awesome. Huge too, that we have the resources. So if you guys are listening today and you need resources specifically in this area, I say reach out to either one of us and we'll hook you up with certain resources that we know of. Uh, but that now you know Nicole and you've heard her story and you can reach out to her in that regard. So Nicole, tell us a little bit more about, first of all, Uncovered. And then after that, if I forget, don't <laughs> just remind me how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, so Uncovered is a platform that I want to allow for anybody. If you have a story that you're wanting to share, you don't know how to share it, um, I have a way to share it anonymously. If you don't want people to, you know, we don't have to show your face, we can change your voice. Um, 
But basically I produce little, they're like mini documentaries on people's stories. They range from eight minutes to 24 minutes. And um, it's very important to me that when I tell someone's story, they get to feel like they got to tell the whole thing. When I worked in news, oftentimes we have to take a 30 minute interview and shorten it down to a 90 second story. And the thing I heard so often was, gosh, I wish you could have put this part in. And I didn't want that to be anything that happened when we were talking about someone's greatest secret. So I really try to care for people's stories and share them in a way that makes them feel like they have their dignity and um, that they can really trust that process. Um, I am going to be launching a podcast soon to tell the stories as well, because I think that will allow me just to tell more stories and not be confined to trying to make each one this production because that takes a long time. Um, so people can reach out. Yeah. If, if they have a story to share, they know someone who has a story to share. My goal here is that what I've experienced is when you let the world love you for the thing that you think makes you unlovable, that's when you can finally start to know self-love and to really love yourself fully. And then to know God's love for you, because I think you know, even growing up um, in the Christian faith, um, oftentimes it's easy to feel like we have to check boxes of worthiness to be worthy of God's love. And, um, and, and for anybody else who maybe doesn't identify as Christian, whatever, I, I mean, I think if you believe in any sort of higher purpose or, or higher power, the universe, whatever, it's the idea that you're here for a purpose and God put you on this earth for a purpose and that you are perfect just as you are. And I think the moment that we can start to own our stories and realize that our stories don't make us any less worthy, they actually can become your superpower. Once you stop being so afraid, what people might think of, of you when they hear that. And I think the truth is the voice that shame doesn't tell you is that sharing some of these vulnerable parts of yourself, or at least coming to have peace with them, um, that's what brings connection and love and belonging into your life. It's not chasing those masks of perfection. And, and that's what a life in shame will tell you to do. That's that constant hustle for worthiness, constantly wanting to prove to people that you have worth. And when you walk out of shame, that goes away because when you fully love yourself, you know, I think that's when you're able to really step into your potential as a person, because you're not having those voices to tell you, you don't, you don't deserve this. So if anyone wants to contact me, um, my email is Nicole at Nicole kind of weird spelling. So maybe we'll just put it in the comments and I see H O L E and then Mishki is M I S C H K E. So Nicole at Nicole or you can look me up on Facebook, which is uncovered with Nicole Mishki. And on Instagram, um, I'm Nicole Mischke Uncovered. So my website is NicoleMischke.com. If people want to see some of the stories that I've produced so far, they're not all posted there, but um, a lot of them are. And then the whole goal too is that these stories get shared in theaters. So I did my first launch event back in October. We rented out the Magic Lantern Theater, which was an incredible venue. And sold out the theater there and played three of the stories up on the big screen where I really feel like they deserve to be shared in a place where there's no distractions. And all of the people whose stories were shared were there live. And after 
you know, the story is played. We did a question and answer panel where audience members could ask questions and it was just so powerful and life-giving. And I guess the only other thing I'll add is, um, I am, I definitely will share people's stories who maybe are still in it or, or haven't worked through the healing, but I, I personally think that there is so much power and maybe almost waiting until you're through it and can look back on it with a sense of just what your message of hope or inspiration is for people. It's, it's really important to me that these stories don't just leave people feeling yucky because we talk about some really hard things, sexual trauma, abortion addiction, alcoholism, suicide, mental health issues. And it's very heavy. But the incredible thing is I think being able to share with people hope and inspiration, even in those struggles. So that's always something I ask people to ponder is, you know, if you're going to share your story, what is your message of hope or inspiration that you want to leave for people? Um, because that message I, I want to amplify the most. Thank you so much. That was an amazing way to end this. But before we do, I really want you to reiterate one thing you said about three minutes ago. It was, let the world love you. Let's say that again. That sentence. Yeah. When you let the world love you for the thing you think makes you unlovable, or when you let the world love you for the thing shame told you makes you unlovable, that is when you can finally start to love yourself fully. Because I think I believed, and this is the voice of shame for so long that if anyone finds this out about me, everything will be over. And what happened is everyone found it out about me and the people that love and care about me are still by me. And I've actually had more relationships and connections because of that, right? So when you see people loving you for the thing that you thought was your ugliest part, you can finally start to love yourself for that and almost become grateful for that experience, that trauma, that pain, because that all made me who I am today. And I think we can all, you know, I, I tell people, we'll never, we will never know why we experience traumas and pains that we do. They often make sense, don't make sense. They're not fair. But I really believe that everyone's pain can become a part of their purpose if they learn to embrace it, own it, and then use what they've learned through that struggle to turn around and help the next person who's walking through that. So, Right. And even if they're not ready to share their struggle, just coming to you and telling their story with Uncovered, even if they had done it in a way that was just for them. It's kind of like mm -hmm. when women do boudoir pictures and it's just for them because it makes them feel beautiful. Totally. Like, just, just tell your story just for yourself. Sometimes telling it out loud makes it mm -hmm. more real to you. Absolutely. Right. There so. is so much power in speaking it out. So much power. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you again for being here. We had a lot of people watching live and so and hopefully on the podcast as well as the YouTube station. And uh, we'll get this out to more masses of people to listen to your story and hear what you do. And thank you for sharing not only your life with us and what makes you passionate, but uncovered as well, because I think that could be really an amazing thing for people to, to utilize and to take advantage of if they, if they are brave enough to do it. Let's well, be brave. You. Yes. Be brave. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's Brene Brown who says vulnerability is the greatest act of courage. It, yeah. it is 
terrifying to, to do that. I know how terrifying that is. I know everything in you is saying, don't share that. But that is the voice of shame. It's a lie. And whether you decide to share with a therapist or a friend, or you do want to do something more public, maybe you want to do it anonymously at first, but I really believe that the more you start to share and see that people aren't running away, the easier it'll start to be for you to claim it and to share it a little bit more and a little bit more. And pretty soon, all of those chains that have been wrapped around you because you're trying to keep this thing inside, they just break away. And you can finally just be you as you are with all your brokenness. But like I said, I think that's our superpower. I love superpower. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's so, there's so much fear around making that first step, right? And so one thing fear. my sister so told me, fear. we were talking the other day, and she was like, do you know the word fear really stands for false evidence appearing real? And so in our mind, it's so real, this fear, because it it's feels awful, right? You don't, your heart rate increases, you sweat, you have all this physical uh, feeling of, of fear rearing its ugly self inside your body. But if you really take a look at, is there evidence for me to be really fearful in this moment? Am I being attacked? Am I having an actual reason to be fearful or is it false? And so just bringing that subconscious fear to the conscious mind and saying, no, this isn't real. I need to face it. And, and, uh, and the more we do it, the easier it gets. Right. And exactly. I know you know that because you've been on television multiple times and I'm sure your first time was Oh, it was terrifying. Terrifying. Yes, it was. It was terrifying. Yeah. Um, And I guess the one thing, that's such a good point. And I guess the one thing I'll add here and kind of a little plug is I'm starting also on YouTube, a little YouTube series. I shouldn't say little. Okay, here's another lesson. I'm working on not diminishing the things I'm involved with. It's not a little show. It's a great show. And it's a series on YouTube. And you should all watch it because I'm partnering with a psychologist who is incredible. Her name is Dr. Sean Horn. I think she might be on your show later or something. I'm not, I'm not sure if you guys connected, but she is brilliant, has been studying shame for um, over two decades. And she is the one who made me aware that shame had its place previously. Like when we were living in hunter-gatherer society or when it was, when we needed community just for survival, you know? we had shame that would say, oh, don't share that part or don't do that thing. But we've evolved as a society. It's just our brains haven't quite caught up. So sometimes that shame response is trying to protect you. And oftentimes for children, that toxic shame is really a survival mechanism that's keeping them quiet to survive through some really horrific traumas. And it's, it's heartbreaking, but, but that piece is there to your brain thinks it's protecting yourself. And so I think you can get to this point where you can face that fear, bring it to your conscious mind, like you said, and realize this, this, this protection mechanism is no longer serving me. I'm only going to hold myself back if I don't seek total healing and wholeness for, for this one thing. So thank you for that last bit. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I could talk to you forever. I feel like I know. I know. So when you and Dr. Sean Horn do this YouTube, when is this, when are you, are you guys already doing it? Is it available to watch? Yes, it's on YouTube. It's actually available to watch. We're on uh, Instagram. You, if you just look up the shame sisters okay. and then on YouTube, we're also the shame sisters. Um, okay. Then I will so. um, link that in our group. 
so that Perfect. people can see that. That'd be great. She has, what Dr. Sean brings is the, the neuroscience behind shame, which is fascinating. Cause I think when you can also understand that your struggles are not, again, it's not because you're more messed up. It's, it's a brain thing. It's, it's science and science can explain why we act and have the behaviors that we do. Why do we get triggered? Why do we get mentally unraveled when we have someone say something to us that just enrages us? It's all neuroscience. And so she really brings that powerful piece to the table of understanding here's why this is happening, but then also having the tools to talk about, like, here's how we can start to walk through this. I'm oh, good. Heal. Cause I can totally yeah. nerd out on that. I love that kind of stuff. Oh my gosh. It's, Yes, it's fascinating. She's brilliant. So, um, yes. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I know we got a comment. Love this. Thank you. I didn't get any questions live, but if there are any questions that come up as a result of watching this and you guys want to just ask them in the in the chat below, Nicole is in the group. She will answer those for you. And yes, um, we will we'll get right back to you. So. Thank you, everybody who's watching live. And for those of you watching the replay and Nicole, just have a blessed day. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jolene. You're welcome. Okay. Bye. Bye.